time for church, isn't it? Listen, if you're one of those people who experiences something like that, and you're like, yes, more of that, let me just tell you that we're going to have an evening together. Some of the most special times that we share as a community are nights of worship we have one coming up May 14th at 6 p.m. I highly encourage you to be here for that. We'll be sharing communion. If you've been a Christian for a while, you probably know what that meal is. If not, it's a sacred meal that Jesus took first with his friends, and we take it together as friends to remind us of the sacrifice of Christ. There are unique and special things happening inside this community, aren't there, Vertical Church? If you're here and you're investigating God, I say welcome. If you're here and you're angry with God, I say welcome. If you're here and you've been following God your entire life from the womb on, I say welcome. There will be something for each of you here today because what we believe about God here at Vertical Church is he is all-inclusive. He's not waiting for you to be perfect before you walk in and kind of checking your report card to see, well, will I actually meet with this person today? Did they earn it this week? That's not the way God operates, and that's a good, good thing, isn't it, Vertical Church? Today we are here together to have an encounter with God. It's already begun happening. We're in our second week of an incredible series that God has brought to us. God has met with me this week as I've struggled with how to continue this story. I'm excited for what you're about to hear. We're digging deeper into a critical day in the life of a man named Peter that he experienced with Jesus. They were very close friends. In fact, Peter followed Jesus, left his old life and followed Jesus, and this day happened as a surprise. It's a big question that was offered to Peter by two religious people, but then Jesus follows it with a question himself. And in fact, Jesus does this a lot, doesn't he? If you investigate the life of Jesus, especially with those people that he's trying to teach, he often asks questions. It's one of his favorite tactics. In fact, we ask a lot of questions here, don't we, Vertical Church? We ask questions because historically the church has not asked enough questions, especially in the past 50 years. In fact, if I were to describe my church experience when it was its least healthy, anybody ever been a part of a not healthy church? Let me just describe what the reason was for that. Too many answers and not enough questions. You wander into a sanctuary, as we used to call them. You sit in the hard pews and you realize I'm surrounded by a bunch of hard hearts because they have all the answers, but they're not asking enough questions. How do we know this is a problem? Because Jesus was consistently asking questions. And even when he answered those questions, let's be honest about this, the people that were with him were really, really confused, weren't they? In fact, if you're in a church, if you're joining us online, just kind of hopping in to see what Vertical Church is all about, or if you're in this church and trying to investigate, should you stay here any longer? If you're in a church that isn't asking great questions, questions that upset your normal way of thinking, questions that like till the ground, the soil of your heart, questions that make you wonder, I thought I knew that, but I'm not quite sure. If you're not in a church that's asking those kind of questions, I encourage you to leave because you won't grow there. But simply... Good questions, and Jesus knew this, are very disruptive. Unfortunately, bad questions are equally as disruptive. In fact, let me propose this to you today. we got to fly because we only have a few minutes together because we love short church here. All right? I believe as a culture, we are losing the ability to ask good questions. We're predominantly asking the wrong questions. This is evident to me because we're losing our ability to live peacefully with one another. We're losing our ability to obtain a truth that applies equally to all of us. And, and as a result, we're not loving well the people that we live with that don't look like us, act like us, believe like us, listen to the things that we listen to or go to places that we go. 
We're rapidly becoming, if you tune into news, whether it's CNN or Fox, I don't care which one. If you tune into news, you will see that we're rapidly becoming a culture that asks exclusively me questions and disguises them as we questions. How does that look? If this is good for me, it's good for you. Unfortunately, as we flip through the pages of the Bible, we see that God consistently calls people to a sacrificial lifestyle. What that means is something that's bad for me may be good for you, and I'm willing to do that. See the life of Jesus. Best-selling author Daniel Coyle puts it this way in his book, Culture Code, a fantastic book. You should start reading it this afternoon. He says this, The main challenge to building a clear sense of purpose is that the world is cluttered with noise, distraction, and endless alternative purposes. Listen, guys, we have been called to fight after fight after fight for the past 14 months. And it's becoming increasingly difficult to define for ourselves a clear sense of purpose because of all the fights we're being called to. As a result, if we're honest, many of us have adopted what Coyle calls alternative purposes. They start that way, but they end up becoming our life's mission, and something about it feels wrong. And the reason we know that is because anger settles just below the surface. It's easy to do. You know I can describe it so clearly, first service? Because I have lived that way over the past 14 months as well. How about you? Now, I can't let this go without saying the enemy is very aware of this. He has been a student of human history for a very long time, and he understands that distraction is just as, if not more than, effective as disqualification. In fact, if you look back over your story and the times in your life where you were at your lowest, those were probably the two catalysts that took you there. You were either distracted because the enemy had pulled something into your life as an alternative purpose, or you felt disqualified because you had let God down. You know, the interesting part about letting God down is he knew that was going to happen. It's all over the pages of his Bible, and he sent his son Jesus to accommodate, to cover for that letting God down. So let me just speak to you today, off script, if you're in this room and you feel disqualified because you have let God down because of the decisions that you have made, welcome to our number. (laughs) As we said in the lobby before service started, Reshma told all of us, if we weren't broken, we wouldn't be here. Here's another way to look at this same idea. A phrase here, I encourage you to jot this down. In the moment, it's hard to measure what matters most. This is true without a doubt, isn't it? You can feel it kind of land in the room. The truth of this statement feels that way because of how we've lived it. This principle covers everything from market garden for your history buffs to the extramarital affair. In the moment, it's hard to measure what matters most. Because in the moment, our actions are often reactions. And after those moments, our reactions most often have to be retracted. Why? Because our reactions come from an unhealthy historical place. And Jesus knows this. He especially knew this about his good friend, Peter. He does something for Peter we're going to investigate today, but I want to give you this big point, kind of show you my cards to keep you interested. It's a little pastor trick. Hang with me. Jesus gives Peter experiential history to help him know which fights to engage and which fights to let pass by. He does something in his life to help him settle. Catch this phrase, stay with me. He does something in his life to help him settle what matters most before it matters most. 
Some of you in the room, you've already passed your it matters most moment and you succeeded. Some of you did not. But I want to encourage you today that Jesus is always trying to prepare us for those moments in our future that matter most. He gives Peter experiential history because experiential history sticks. Let me give you this phrase. Jesus' favorite way to solve confusion around purpose was not eloquent instruction. Somebody let the church know. But memorable experience. When Jesus had to choose between two methodologies, either I will eloquently instruct them, say that twice, or I will give them memorable experience. Jesus would shade towards memorable experience every time because it sticks. Allow me to drive this home quickly before we move on. Is that okay, first service? Can anyone recall, anyone in the room, speak up if you can. Can anyone recall anything that I said during our series, Life Cycle? Don't feel bad. I had to look it up on Google Drive, and I'm the one that said it. Let me drive it home even further. For those of you who were here with us last week, how long will it be before you forget that moment with the violin? Experiences stick longer than instruction. But even Jesus' instructions, they kind of felt like an experience. We know this because thousands of years later, we're still talking about them, digging into them. Because stories, they take us to an experience, even if just mentally. Jesus knew that stories helped turn people into the kinds of people he created them to be. Stories help people grow. And that's a difficult word to think about in 2021, isn't it? It can be hard to think about becoming the people that God desires us to be. Most of us, going back to the first part of this conversation, feel like we're living our lives on the defensive rather than, rather than the offensive. There's a couple reasons for this. I just want to set the stage for where we're going in the Bible just to get you thinking in the right direction. I believe there are a few solid reasons why it's difficult for all of us today to think about growing into someone better, someone more like what God created us to be. The first one is our experiences with ourselves. This is where guilt and shame moves into our story. And for most of us, it moved in very young. We talk about it a lot here at Vertical Church because even the most mature among us have to fight this and it haunts us maybe every step that we take. If you're in that place today where the experiences of your life have trapped you in guilt and shame, let me give you a gift. Shame drives, but it does not develop. In your life, shame will drive you to make decisions that you probably don't want to make, or it will cause you to become paralytic and not make any decisions. It will drive you. Shame is a great fuel, but it will not develop you over time. I encourage you to empty your backpack of shame. It's only weighing you down, and God doesn't require it. If you want to know more about this, I encourage you to check out Vertical Plus, our podcast, where the females on staff and some volunteers discuss at length the fallout of purity culture. Tune into that. It's an incredible conversation about how no good shame is. That's the first reason why we have trouble thinking about growing into different people. The second is this, and you probably will agree with me, our experiences with other people. Sometimes religious people. Sometimes not religious people. We're plenty good at hurting each other inside the church, aren't we, church? We're plenty good at hurting each other inside the church, aren't we, church? Unfortunately, it happens. Look, the church is made up of broken people. And broken people hurt people. 
Sometimes people hurt us. They attempt to define us. They incorrectly interpret us. And here's the big truth for the morning in this first part. Relationships are messy. Just ask my wife. Relationships are messy. If we aren't careful, vertical, as a result, because of the messy nature of relationships, we will give up on relationships. I want to challenge you with this thought today before we read out of Matthew. If we give up on relationships, we're actually giving up on ourselves. We're going to discuss this a little bit more later. Taking all this into account, let's ask a difficult question like a tactic of Jesus. You ready? How do we know which battles to fight in order to grow? How do we know? How do we know which fight to engage in and which fight? to let go of. In the moment, how can we make sure as a group of people that we're not tipping the scales in the wrong direction and creating a lack of balance in our own lives? Have no fear. You knew I was setting it up this way. If I'm asking you a difficult question, we're going to let Jesus answer that for us together. This is going to be good. You ready? For context, in case you weren't here last week, I'm just going to read these verses together out of Matthew 17, verse 24 through 27. You're going to get this whole experience as the Bible tells it, and then we're going to break it down just briefly in a way that we can all take it out of this room so it can impact our lives. That is the goal. This isn't just a great speech for you to sit in for a few minutes. Hopefully, this will cause a revolution in your life approach. It starts this way. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax, don't worry about that, just hold tax. The collectors of the tax went up to Peter and said, these are religious men, does your teacher not pay the tax? Peter said, yes, unsure. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? That's what his friends called him. From whom do the kings take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when Peter said, from others, Jesus said to him, the sons are free. That's a sermon in and of itself. Then Jesus does this curious thing. Pay attention if you've checked out. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook. Take the first fish that comes up, supernaturally. Take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel, a coin. Take that and give it to them. For me, and for yourself. What a bizarre story. Jesus gives instructions. We're going to talk about those instructions over the next two weeks. But today, I want to pause and stop on this one thing that Jesus says. Hey, let's not offend them. Boy, is this culturally relevant or what? Jesus says, look, we're free from this tax. I'm the son of God. I've got lifetime exemption. But I don't want to offend these religious people, so go do this for me. Go fishing and pay the tax. This is curious because if you look at the life of Jesus, he often had an axe to grind, especially, hear me on this Christian perfectionist, especially with the religious people. There were two things at this time that were really, really important to the religious people of the day. I'm not picking on them. I'm just describing them. Two things, Sabbath and sexuality. Sabbath was one day a week set aside where God said, it's a good idea for you to rest. By the way, that teaching still holds up. Sabbath and sexuality. Sexuality because all of the other gods of the time, the way that people worshiped those gods was through a perversion of sexuality in one form or another. 
Let's take Sabbath first. The Sabbath was so important. The religious people added rules on top of the rules that God had already put in place so that they didn't accidentally break God's rules. They put more rules in place. You know what Jesus did with those rules? He ignored them. Thank you. (laughs) Jesus healed people on the Sabbath, like the ultimate work. The work that you couldn't accomplish with your hands, Jesus did on the Sabbath. And because of this, the religious people became offended. Jesus canceled. Jesus' response to this. These are his words now. Catch this. Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. That's a little confusing, but it kind of sounds accusatory. Let's take sexuality, also extremely important in this time. In fact, so important, we don't have the time to go into why it was important. Let me just convince you of this. The most important thing was not to associate, especially with women who were sexually impure. Two of the most famous examples, Jesus ignored those rules as well. He met with a promiscuous woman alone at a well. He also allowed a prostitute one night to pour expensive oil on his feet at dinner. Jesus was obviously willing to go to battle with religious folks. Anybody getting uncomfortable? Let me give you this phrase. Jesus was willing to offend the religious to reach the lost. Don't shoot the messenger. It's in the text. Let me explain that word lost for a minute because when we hear that, we get really offended, but we shouldn't. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus came to seek out and to find and to rescue the things that were lost. Not the things that were less valuable or stupid or didn't make the cut, but things that were valuable, that had been taken from him, God wanted them back. That's what Jesus came for, to rescue the lost. And Jesus was willing to offend the religious to make that happen. The people who didn't know the love of God to Jesus were worth sacrificing his public reputation as a teacher. He was willing to fight the devil. He was willing to fight their obstinance. He was willing to fight the religious. This is big for us, Vertical Church, especially if you've been with us for a while, because you should be the exact same way. If you are more concerned with your reputation than you are introducing lost people to the love of God, you are experiencing a lack of balance. The fact still remains, though, in this story. Let's get back to curiosity. Jesus takes action to not offend these men. That's unpredictable based on my speech, isn't it? Jesus was unpredictable. It's where we get our core value of being unpredictable here. We want to do unpredictable things far beyond allowing you to drink coffee in the sanctuary. We want to do unpredictable things like extending to love of God to the people that we should hate politically. We want to extend the love of God to people that we should hate because their skin color is different than ours. We want to extend the love of God to people who have a different sexual orientation than we do because we believe that with Jesus, no one is disqualified. And that's unpredictable. You can try to call me into a fight if you want. You can stream statistics at me from the news if you want. But I refuse to hate, and today, that is unpredictable. I have some thoughts, and you knew that I might. I'm just going to share a few with you because we're almost out of time. Why would Jesus choose to not offend over offend that day? Brace yourself, first service. This is going to sound a little bit like accountability. Are you okay with that? Trust me, I've sat under this teaching a lot longer than you're going to have to today. 
This is going to help you even if you don't believe in God or Jesus or the whole Christian thing. Just please take this out of here today. You don't know what Jesus may be doing in another person's life. You just don't know. Jesus was working, catch this in this story, it's a nuance, but it's there. Jesus was working in more than just Peter's life. He had design on the religious men as well. Jesus over and over again was able to discern the hearts of people. And as these men were asking this question, even outside through a door, Jesus knew their heart. And he was going to do something in Peter's story. And simultaneously, he was going to do something in the life of these religious men. That's fascinating to think about, isn't it? Christian thinker John Piper famously said a few years ago, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. Wow. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of three of them. What a thought. Let's turn up the dial just a little bit. Right now, the world's population is estimated to be 7.8 billion. If God's up to 10,000 things in each one of those people's lives, then my question for you today is, how much is God up to? He's working around you. Catch this, especially for those of us who have lived in this small area about 15 miles across called Gluckstadt and Madison. God is up to things all around you that don't have anything to do with you. That's tough teaching. Here's a great filter and one that I'm adopting even this week and you should adopt. Imagine that God is just as interested in loving and growing the other person as he is in loving and growing you. In this way, you will more easily be able to discern the times that you should offend and the times that you should let it pass by. The only way to know this truly is to live a life doing what God has asked you to do. Remember last week we discussed that the first thing we should do is allow God to ask us the questions, the things that he wants to know about us, not because his knowledge falls short, because he wants to pique our curiosity about what interests him. And then after that, we should get about doing what he asked us to do, just like Peter who went fishing that day. And I will be honest with you, as a pastor, more of us should be more honest. This is much more complicated than we let on, isn't it? To try to figure out what God is telling us, calling us, leading us to do. This is a skill that we only obtain through correct information and consistent practice. Correct information, a lot of that happens on a Sunday. Where does the consistent practice happen? Not while you're sitting in those gray chairs, but when you're out there. Isn't that true? This is why community is so important. It's why I'm talking about it not right before we ask people to sign up for groups, but even right now, community is so important. Communities bound together by God with a group of people that are seeking to learn his instructions and do them with their lives. Listen, I can find a group of people to match my bias, to help me build an echo chamber, and to feed my predetermined prejudice and my historical hate. I can find groups like that, can't you? These groups aren't community. They are soul poison. But if I can find a community, and Peter had one, if I can find a community of people who are together submitting, notice that language, submitting to the will of God, I have a much better chance of knowing when to fight and when not to fight. Today I'm calling us, as Jesus did Peter, 
to be a people who know the correct battles to fight, both as a church and as individuals. This is my final point for the morning. I'm gonna ask you to clue in right here, just lean in a little bit. I put it last because it's very hard to remember all the smart stuff I say. <laughs> We're built for the right battles. We're baited into the wrong ones. Slow down, take that in. God has built us for the right battles. Those battles that we run up against and something just feels right to engage it. Not our anger, but our purpose, our total makeup. We were built for those moments. In contrast, the enemy baits us into the wrong battles and they are always smaller battles. See, unfortunately, the enemy is unaware that we have a record of his resume. Let me roll you through that just quickly. In the garden with Adam and Eve, whether you believe the story actually happened or not, the Bible records it this way, that the enemy moved in and baited them into a smaller battle. You have everything you could possibly need. You walk with God. You see him face to face. He's created this environment just for you and you for each other. But let me bait you into this smaller battle. He's holding out on you because you can't have fruit from that one tree. And they fell for it. And so have we. How about David, king of a nation, chosen even though his father overlooked him, validated by God, and he fell for the bait of the smaller battle with a beautiful woman bathing on a roof. We feel for him, don't we, men? It was the smaller battle. He even attempted this with Jesus in the desert. Jesus, have you heard of him? The enemy moves in and he uses this tactic. Listen, I'll give you all of this. It sounds comical, doesn't it? But you know if the enemy used it with Jesus, his top opponent, he's going to use it with you. But with the Son of God, it didn't work. Jesus hit him in the face with the Bible. We should be doing that more. How does this work for us? We have any men with us today? Oh, ladies, you cannot answer for the men. Let's, let's try this again. I know men, men are used to being quiet in church. We have to be good little boys, but not here. Are there any men in the church? Okay, thank you. Let me just give you a little bit of instruction. Man, we needed that comedy. Here's what the smaller battle looks like. You're going to recognize this. Don't feel judged. Feel a part of a community that knows the truth. The smaller battle looks like chasing intimacy and victory through pornography. Listen, if you're involved with that, as many of us are, you aren't winning the war of love. You're isolating and you're slowly numbing yourself. Actually, this applies to all addictions, really, men. Winning like a champ at an addiction doesn't mean that you're really winning. We know this, don't we, guys? Still, the enemy is so good at the small trap, isn't he? Don't say amen. You'll have to have a conversation on the way to the car. All right, this will probably go better. Are there any women here? Okay, I figured. Here's what we say to you. I'm going to say this very carefully, so, so don't tweet this, please. Just let me talk to you for a moment. Chasing beauty and power you already possess, that's the smaller trap. You don't need a mirror or a man to tell you you have something you already own. 
Something that God has already communicated about you. He knits you together. You are beautiful and powerful, and you don't need culture to tell you so. In fact, chasing those words to be spoken over you by other things will only lead to disappointment. It will actually subversively destroy our already broken culture. We're built for the right battles, men. We are built for the right battles, women. So before the moment, before the moment that matters most, I'm asking us as a church to submit to God, to submit to the instructions of Jesus, to search out what we're built for. How do we do that? We do exactly what Peter did. We answer the call of Jesus to leave things behind us and follow him ahead of us. We allow him to teach us along the way. So here's to the battles ahead the ones we're built for, the, wa- the ones God's been preparing us to fight. May we have the courage to pick those battles and let the other battles pass right on by. May we leave the traps of the enemy in our wake, especially the ones that are religiously motivated. Let's pray. God, we've had church today. You know that because you're here. It's been a gift from you. And so before we ask anything of you, we just want to say thank you for meeting with us, for giving us the gift of laughter and togetherness and community and instruction. Jesus, you were so good that day with Peter, so good with those religious men. And so we ask you be that same thing with us to help us as we leave this safe place, this room of togetherness and face a broken world and face the brokenness inside of us. Lead us in grace, lead us in mercy, treat us with love. We want to fight the right battles, the one you built us for. Help us find it, even today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for your attention. We'll see you next week.